0: I am one of four children in my family. I am the second daughter, and then I have two younger brothers. And then I also have four children myself. And so my second daughter, we joke about how we're the same in our family, which isn't really true at all. But anyways, we like to find that connection. But I know both from my own kids and then also from my own growing up experience that sometimes when there's lots of kids around, you're looking for what your place is. You're looking for your unique position. Um, And so I was thinking this week about a story that I remember between me and my dad. When I was young, um, my dad had a special nickname for me, and it was Brzezinski. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Brzezinski. I have no idea where this nickname came from or what it means. And even later as an adult, I asked my dad. like I was like, what in the world is this? Uh, and he didn't even know. He's like, I don't know. I don't remember. It was just a thing, Brzezinski. So ridiculous, but fine. And then my brother who's next in line to me is named Brian. And so he got this adapted version of this l- beloved nickname. <laughs> That's Brzezinski. Anyways, just as a side note. So Brzezinski, Brzezinski. So it was fine. And when I was little, it was it was cute, right? Like I liked it. But as I got older, and I don't know exactly around what age, but I would guess like preteen age, uh, I can remember having a conversation with my dad, which is quite bittersweet now as I think about it. I had this conversation with my dad, and I basically told him very directly uh, that I didn't want him to call me that anymore. I was like, Dad, no, no to this nickname. I'm, I will not be this. And instead, this audacious child said, I would prefer if you could call me Princess yeah right it just fits you know it all comes together so I said this to my father and lovely man that he is I think because I was quite serious at the time he took it to heart and for several years after that he called me princess as a nickname instead and so it really stuck and then As I got into high school and like early university-ish years, I was, I was really grieved by that in the aftermath. Like I was like, Oh, this very like special, like weird, but name of love that my father had given me. Um, and I had kind of rejected it, right? Despised it. And so I've been thinking about that and how it's important, um, how we're named by the ones that we love and to hear what's behind the naming, what's behind the invitation. So much of our lives, we're looking for identity. We're looking for belonging. We're looking for uh, who we are. And we wanna remember, again, like we talked about last week and what Quincy was sharing, we wanna remember what our starting point is as children of God. We wanna pay attention to the things that he is naming us. We wanna notice, we wanna sit in the truth Um, that we are loved. And as we talk this week in our second week of this series about what we're called to, we don't want to skip over that part or take it for granted that we have to start with who we are and who God is. We start with the things that we know that are true about how we're loved, about how God is with us, because that allows us to step into places where we are called to hear the invitations. But if we, if we skip that part and we jump to responding or we jump to what the invitations are, it can go wonky in a hurry, right? We can um, see ourselves as a princess uh, potentially when that's not necessarily what the calling has been, right? And so we want to start start with who God is always. We want to start with who God calls us always, as our beginning point, um, so that we can move into the invitations that He has before us. So we don't want to forget. We want to be sure to remember who we are and whose we are as we have talked about. And so we're gonna move into this second week where we're looking at the topic of responding and answering this question, what is God calling us to? How do we move to respond to God intentionally? And we're gonna do that primarily by looking in Colossians chapter three. So if you have your Bibles and you wanna turn to Colossians chapter three, we're gonna read together and then dive in there. And while you're doing that, I just wanna mention about something else that's coming as we move through this series. So towards the end of the month, um, we're going to be sharing a prayer guide. So last year when we did our resolution series, we also had this prayer guide that would have been offered through your uh, local pastors, through your local sites. And this, as we spend this time in the month of January on resolution, we're trying to have a space of kind of reset and looking at all of these topics that we're working through. But the primary goal is to to make space, to pay attention to what God is saying. So we're not trying to create something new, rather we're trying to pause what is happening around us so that we can give our attention to the things that God is doing. And so a lot of that work is done together and we're hoping to gather in a variety of different ways at different points as we go through the month, depending on where you are and how uh, your local church is doing that. But we also wanna offer this prayer guide that's gonna come at the end of January so that wherever you are, you have that as a resource to also track. And so it's uh, some practices, some scripture, um, some prayer, prayers that are built into that prayer guide to kind of be the vehicle to create that space so that we can um, make room to listen to what God's doing. So you can watch for that and it'll be coming uh, towards the end of the month. So let's look at Colossians chapter three. We're going to start at verse one. We're going to read um, a chunk together and then we'll dive into what invitations, what callings we see as we walk through this. Let's read together. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, Have nothing to do with sexual immortality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. So there's a lot packed in and we're going to carry on in the chapter a little bit later. There's a lot packed in. There's plenty to look at. But if we're thinking about the things that God is calling us to, the first thing that stands out is God calling us to reorient our perspective to reorient our perspective. So if we look at the first four verses again, we see here that we're really given this theological grounding, this like we're talking about as we started, this reminder of where to begin. Where do we start? Remember that we have been raised to new life with Christ. Remember who God is. Remember who Jesus is and have this perspective of heaven, of who God is and what he says that we are to be about, remember that this is where we start. And so this is easy to say, it's easy to say, and it's much harder to actually live into. It's much harder to actually stay grounded in this as the thing that is defining how we experience life. Because, Because we live in this world right in these bodies in this world and so our lived experience doesn't always feel this way which is why we need to constantly be remembering that it won't be a one-time thing but that we have to come back and ask the spirit to give us this perspective over and over again to remind us that just what we're seeing and experiencing here isn't the totality of what is real, of what we're called to, of what is for us, but that we want to shift our perspective, that our real life is hidden with Christ in God. One commentator that I was reading put it like this, that our interests must be Jesus's interests, that our interests must be his interests, and this becomes an incredibly countercultural posture to take in the world, then, because it's saying this isn't everything, and the authority and the f- expectations and the things that just exist in this world is is not all that it, there is, because in fact Christ is the one who has the authority. Christ is the one who tells the story. Christ is the beginning and the end. And so it fundamentally shifts the way that we engage with and the way that we experience the world that we are living in. And as we've talked about other times, that doesn't mean that we don't still experience the things of this world in a real way, right? It doesn't mean that we don't still feel the challenges of this world in a way that is real and true. And we don't need to pretend that we don't. There has sometimes been a tendency in the church to say, if we're keeping our perspective on heavenly things, then we should never be afraid. We should never be worried, right? We jump over those things because we have this heavenly perspective. Um, And I think, no, that's not how it works. (laughs) That's not how it works. We still very much live in this world, but we don't live here alone and the story doesn't end here. So we still experience those real things of fear, of grief, of worry, of anxiety. But when they rise in us, when they rise, we come back to this place of remembering this isn't all that is true. This isn't all that I see. And we come back to the things that we know about what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection. We come back to the truth that the Holy Spirit is with us. And it shifts and changes the way that we are experiencing what's happening in this world. We can remember the things that we know that are true about God, but this is an ongoing work. And I have been learning this over and over again in life about how I'll come back to this place of God speaking to me through the spirit about who he is. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember how we had this conversation not that long ago. And how is it that I can't just stay in the knowing? But again, this is not something to be shamed or despised and our need for that as a regular dependence, right? This is, I think is also part of how God intends to relate to us in an ongoing way. If we just knew it forever, we could slip again into this place of feeling that we have no need for him, that we have it figured out, that we're able to sustain it ourselves. But we come back to this place of need. We intentionally turn our attention again to this heavenly perspective, to what Jesus has accomplished. And then we're reminded in the moment of our experience who God is and what he's calling us to. So we're invited to reorient our perspective ongoingly, daily in a way that continues to build our dependence on God. If we keep looking then at the verses that we read together in verses five through 11, then we see that God is also calling us to turn away from sinful behavior that he's calling us to turn away from patterns of destruction. And look at the language that we see in these verses, phrases like this needs to be put to death. We need to have nothing to do with it. We need to get rid of it. This is not like, oh yeah, just remember, try to avoid these, use caution. No, it is like weed these things out of your life because they are not what I have for you. They are not the way to follow where I am leading. And when we're grounded in the truths that we talk about at the beginning, when we start from this place of remembering and keeping our eyes on the things that Jesus has accomplished, we don't have need for the things that are listed below. We see in the examples that are given here of behavior and choices that in this kind of behavior, in this kind of living, there's a clinging to the way of the world that does not match with the way that Jesus has called us to. We cannot have it both ways. And so if we're looking for um, fulfillment, if we're looking for meaning, if we're looking for satisfaction or some kind of purpose in these other areas that are listed in these behaviors, we're not looking for them in God. Because if we're looking for them in God, they're filled. They're filled. We have what we need. It's there. And so when we start acting out into these other behaviors, we're saying that God doesn't have what we need. We're acting as if God doesn't have what we need. And so instead we want to turn away, turn away from these sinful behaviors, turn back to who God is and what he calls us to. And in the same way that we don't pretend that we don't feel fear or we don't feel grief. We also don't want to pretend that these things aren't part of our lives. We read a list of like this in scripture and we think, Oh yeah, for sure. These things are not the things I want. But I think part of the calling that God has on us is to to spend the time here too, to look at the places where these things have continued to be a part of how we function and how we live and how we choose things, not for the purpose of shame, not for the purpose of guilt or any of those things, but so that in the same way, we can invite Jesus right into the middle of those things that are in our lives and that he will do the work of weeding it out that he will show us the way to turn away from these habits or these choices. We want to ask God to come close to these places so that we can be met with his love and his light there. We wanna invite the light into the darkness. And we wanna do it now, we wanna do it now, right? This language of urgency, this language um, that says that we need to get rid of it means right now is the time. I also think this is an ongoing thing, right? This is not a one and done kind of situation where, oh, I've dealt with that and it's over, that there will perpetually be places in our lives where we are drawn away from the way of God and we need to make the choice again to turn back. And we do this remembering again who it is that's calling us, right? Who it is that's calling us. We don't do this um, out of obligation. We do this as a response to the love that has been freely given, right? We start with who God is. We start with who he says he is. And then that should compel us away from these destructive behaviors in our lives, because we know that we're coming back to a place of love. We know that we're coming back to a place where we are known. We know and choose to believe that what God offers to us in that space is far better, far better than anything that we could find in any of these other areas that we're talking about. And if we're not sure about that, if we're doubting that it's better, I think we need to ask God to show us again, ask him to show us again, the life that he has, the way that he has so that we turn away, so that we say yes to him again. And the last thing um, we see here in these verses about what God is calling us to, we wanna look again at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11 says, put on your new nature Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. So we see that Christ is calling all of us, all of us, to live real lives that look like Jesus. This is in the midst of our real lives, whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever has been the story of our life, that's the exact place where Jesus meets each one of us and says, here I am. And I am what you need. I am what you need. This is an ongoing work of being renewed to become more and more like who Jesus has created us to be the work of being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ as his beloved children. And it does not matter who we are. This is not just for certain people. There are not qualifications that are required for this, right? Certain education or a certain history or a certain amount of striving and work. This new life in Jesus is freely given to everyone when we say yes to him. Sometimes again, in the church, because of how we've set things up, there has been this Um, misleading belief that we're waiting for other people to show us how to do this work, that we need someone else to do it for us, or we just need someone else to tell us how to do it. And we do need each other, right? We learn from each other. We grow from each other. We see things in each other that reflect who God is in unique ways, but also everyone is given what is needed. Christ is all that matters. And when we say yes to him, he lives in, in all of us. So we have what we need because of what Jesus has done and that everyone is able to move forward in these invitations, in these callings because the Holy Spirit is with them when they say yes to God. So all of these invitations, all of these callings to have a new perspective, to turn away from destructive behavior, to continue to um, live into this transformative uh, calling on our lives, all of these things are are ongoing work, are ongoing work. (laughs) They're not easy. They're not just accomplished. They're not checked off a list. It is ongoing work that is happening. And thank goodness that we are not doing that alone. Thank goodness that we're not doing that alone. That the Holy Spirit is with us to do this ongoing work of spiritual formation in our lives. And we want to remember that also as we think about how we're responding, that we're responding in a way that is relational with God. So when we're remembering who God is and we're hearing these callings on our lives, then we're also responding in relationship with a God who is present with us through the Holy Spirit that is present to us. And I was reading about um, some language in Hebrew, which I uh, don't have a strong (laughs) background in, but learning about this um, word wait that we often refer to um, when we're talking about waiting on the Holy Spirit. So in different verses that we would know, like Isaiah 40 that talks about those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So this idea of wait, one of the words that's used for that in Hebrew is kava, kava. And then it's connected to the word kav, which is for which means cord in Hebrew. So a couple of things that I've been reading about and then thinking through over the last week with this. So the idea of cord in waiting denotes this kind of word picture of tension, like of being tied to something. And so there's idea there in the language that when we're doing this waiting with God in this in-between period where we're working out our faith, where we're walking with the spirit, this waiting is that idea of the now and not yet, right? There's a tension that's there in the waiting, like you would see in a cord that's tied, a tension of waiting, anticipating more to come, anticipating what's happening. And then another lovely kind of word picture that comes as we work out the meaning of this word of waiting, of waiting, Um, being tied and tethered to the spirit, it also can give this picture of a connection that was reminding me, and in some of what I was reading, of like a three-legged race. You know what a three-legged race is? So if you, I had... Uh, many a Sunday school picnic growing up in the (laughs) church in Canada, um, where this kind of thing happens in like summer games. And so the idea of a three-legged race is you have two people that are working in partnership on a team and their middle legs are tied together with a cord, right? A similar idea in like the use of this language tied together with a cord. And then their job is to move together in a race to go down the field. And you have to coordinate the, the middle foot to move in tandem with each other. Right. And so this gives, I think a gorgeous picture, a beautiful picture of how we are to walk in step with God. As we respond, we want to be tethered with the Holy spirit in a way that as we move we feel if we're moving in step with the Holy Spirit. If your legs are tied together with someone, if you get too far ahead, or if someone falls too far behind, you're gonna fall down. You can't can't move because you're restricted by the way that you're bound together, right? The movement has to be coordinated. And if you get a little bit too far ahead, you can wait you wait for the person to catch up. Or if you're lagging behind, you catch up to try to remain in sync. And so when we're thinking about how we wanna be ongoingly connected to the Holy Spirit in our lives, tethered, tied, in step as we're responding to God's calling. This gives a lovely picture of how we're in motion as we're waiting. We're in motion as we're responding, but we're attentive to where the Spirit is in response to how we're moving. And so we feel the pull, right? We feel the pull to remain in step with the spirit and we're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to get it right. But if we're giving our attention, we're listening, we're paying attention to that tension that's there, we can adjust. We can adjust and keep on choosing in this ongoing way to be in step. I also think... It's important for us to, to ask the question again in God's loving presence of if we're if we're not noticing that tension in our lives, like if we're never feeling the pull of, oh, maybe I'm not quite in step with the spirit, I think that could mean two things. It could mean we're either walking so perfectly in step with the Holy Spirit that there's no tension to feel, or it could mean we are not tethered in any kind of close way that we feel the tension. We're so far away on this tie that we don't even notice when we're out of step. And I think that's an important thing for us to pay attention to, right? If we're never feeling the pull back or the pull ahead of God's leading in our lives, we should be asking the question why? We should be asking the question, why? Because as we saw, what Jesus has done is for everyone. This calling is for everyone. And the Spirit's movement and presence and speaking in our lives is for everyone. This is not just for some, this is for all of us. And so how do we pay attention? How do we notice? How do we walk in step with the Spirit, paying attention to those places of tension? How will we know if we're doing that or not? And as, let's go back to Colossians chapter three, and we're gonna read another chunk of this um, because it tells us, it tells us how we're gonna know <laughs> what it should look like if we are responding to where God is calling us, if we are walking in step um, with the spirit. So let's read again at verse, verse 12. Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What will it look like if we're walking in step? It's going to look like wearing mercy. It's going to look like putting on kindness, humility, gentleness. We are going to see the fruit of the spirit in our lives when we're walking in step with who he is. It will look like the real Gifts that God gives working out in our real relationships, in our real church, in our real neighborhoods. It will look like forgiveness and grace. It will look like patience with each other. It will look like love. It will look like peace. It will look like thankfulness. It will look like praise for who God is. It will look like an overflow of Jesus in us and through us. This is what we want. Isn't this what we want? This is what we want. We say, yes, Lord, this is what we want. And so if we're saying yes to what it will look like, we need to also be saying yes to the callings and the invitations that have come before this because it's ongoing work to do with God's help, with God's presence with us. This is freely given, but it is also an ongoing partnership that involves us, (laughs) that involves um, our consent, that involves our lives, that involves us saying yes to the way that God wants to call us back to himself over and over again. We want to say yes to who God says that we are. And sometimes like me, with my silly nickname story at the beginning, we think we want something different, right? We say, yes, Lord, I want to be this representative of who you are, but I would like it to look like this. I would like it to be called this. I would like to experience it this way. And I think God meets us there and redirects us back to remind us again that no, the way that I have named you, the way that I have called you is the good way. Trust who I am. Trust what I have set before you. Trust that the good work that you will do with me here is the way that you should spend your life. And we believe that it's good because of who is calling us and how we know that he is good and that he loves us. So we wanna pause here for a minute together. And because we're looking at this theme of respond, we wanna try to take a few minutes to do that and move it again, like we've talked about other times too, from not just our head, but how do we engage the whole of who we are to make some space together intentionally to give our attention to God, to allow God to highlight the things that he wants to speak to us as we spend this time. And so we're gonna do um, a practice together. We're gonna just read through a prayer. This is adapted from um, prayer of St. Francis. And so we'll spend a a few minutes doing that together. And the the real encouragement is to just allow yourself to be attentive to what God is saying, to uh, allow a, a room for a breath, right? A room for a breath after we receive some information, after we spend time thinking it through together, how do we allow for a breath to let it um, move through the fullness of who we are? So I'll just invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable and take a, a couple of deep breaths. Take deep breaths in that just allow you to kind of settle in to where you're sitting to settle into the space that you are. And just allow your, allow your thoughts to be focused on your breath as a way of just stilling your, stilling your mind, quieting your, your thoughts. Remembering that our breath is freely given, freely given, sustaining our life and that God's presence with us is just as our breath, as close as our breath in us and through us, that he is here, that he loves us, that he is for us. And so as you breathe deeply and just sit in stillness to just become aware of God's presence with you, to ask God what he wants to draw your attention to, what he wants to speak to. As we read this prayer together, draw us into your love, Jesus, and deliver us from fear Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred in me, call me back to your love. Where there is injury in me, hold me in your grace. Where there is doubt in me, lead me back to faith. Where there is despair in me, flood me with hope. Where there is darkness in me, Guide me to your light. Where there is sadness in me, fill me with your joy. Lord, our prayer is to be instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, teach us to love. Where there is injury, let us bring grace. Where there is doubt, may we gently speak of faith. Where there is despair, Help us pour out hope. Where there is darkness, let us hold up the light. Where there is sadness, Lord, may we be bearers of joy. O oh, Jesus, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Lead us in your way, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.